Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We are here continuing our series of re-watching classic college baseball games and then bringing them onto the podcast to discuss. Today, we are talking about the 2013 Super Regional between North Carolina State and Rice, specifically Game 2 of that Super Regional. And joining us later in the show will be North Carolina State coach Elliot Avent. Uh, very excited to, to dig into that game with Coach Avent, one of the, uh, the longtime coaches in college baseball and one of the, the great characters in, in college baseball as well. Love, uh, always love talking with Coach Avent, and he's, uh, his teams are always a lot of fun to watch as well. And uh, this 2013 team is no exception. Before we get into that, though, Joe, uh, we are uh, we are climbing ever ever deeper into May, and uh, you know at, at some point here, uh, in, in full disclosure, we already talked to Coach Avent. In that interview, he's a, he's describing um, Omaha, and while he was doing that, like that was like the sharpest pain of me missing out uh, or missing going through the the whole experience of the NCAA tournament this year that I think I've felt so far. I anticipate that will only increase over the next six weeks. But uh, when he was, when he was describing just like getting to Omaha and how excited everyone was to get on the plane and how they were all smiling, I was like, Oh man, that, that would, that would hurts a little bit. Yeah. I, so it, it's interesting you bring it up because I have been watching, I mentioned on the last podcast, like I've been watching these, Big Ten Network replays of conference tournament games, which, by the way, I have a fresh DVR recording of the 2012 title game between Purdue and Indiana on the DVR. I'm looking to uh, dig into next couple days. I've not seen that game, 2012 Purdue, really good team. So a lot of uh, big leaguers on that team. Uh, so I've been kind of going through those, and I talked about how it was like a little bit bittersweet because I'm I'm kind of enjoying it, but at the same time, you know, I because we are now at the time of year when conference tournaments in the postseason are happening, watching these games kind of adds something both in a positive and a, in a negative way. And so I'm kind of feeling the same where it's, it's almost like um, it's almost like one of those things that, you know, when you eat something really tasty that, you know, isn't good for you, you know, and, and so like as you're eating it, you're like, man, this is good. And like you're really loving it and you're loving it. And then you finish eating and you're like, what on earth have I done? Like, I kind of feel like that's been the case with me watching some of these postseason games because I'm loving it in the moment. Like, there's a there's there's a warmth in the air now. It, it's starting to feel like summer around here. I think it's going to be pushing 90 degrees here over the weekend, which, you know, if you live in a place like Texas or Florida, Arizona, you know, you're, you're rolling your eyes and saying, well, it's been 90 degrees here since, I don't know, the entire year. So, but for us, you know, it's starting to get to be summertime. So, I've kind of got that postseason baseball feeling. So, in, in one sense, it's great. In the other sense, though, once I kind of finish it, I realize that, like, oh, this, these are old games and I don't actually have these games to, to watch live. It ends up being kind of a bummer. So I'm right there with you. I, um, I anticipate, like you, that it'll be a similar story throughout at least the rest of uh, May and, and June. And then hopefully once we get beyond that, we can start to, you know, focus enough on 2021 that it'll, it'll, it'll take on a little bit um, less, of a, less of a bittersweet feeling uh, quickly before we go any further here um I, Elliot Avon when we talked to him I think my lat no matter what he and this is no slight but no matter what he accomplishes throughout the rest of his career 
And despite all of the accomplishments he's had, he's won a ton of games at NC State. That team is always in the postseason, always in the top 25. They went to Omaha in 2013. All the great players he's had. I think my lasting memory of him is that story where he was walking his dog and he got bit by a snake. And then because Elliot Avon is tougher than all of us, he like tracked the snake down and grabbed it and took it with him to the hospital or wherever he went because you know, that's one thing they used to say. I don't know if it's true anymore, but like you used to, they used to want, you I'll to tell bring... you the hospital did not want him to bring the snake. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so that this is, is <laughs> I understand that's what you're building to, but that is, that, that is uh, and sorry for spoiling that, but uh, no, that, that, that the advice is not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like, no, I mean, it's fine. You spoil that. Cause I was like, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case, but I think there was definitely a time where they would have liked to have known kind of what snake it was. And I don't know if that means like bring the sucker in with you like holding it by its head or something so it doesn't, you know, <laughs> strike again. But um, certainly maybe just being able to describe it or what have you. But but Elliot David, defending his dog from the snake, mind you, which uh, just a heroic effort on his part, gets bitten by the snake, brings it in. Meanwhile, like, I'm sure that hurt, you know, but he's bringing the snake in with him to the hospital and just a um, just a, a man among men in, in that way. I would well, no, So I want to note here that he kills the snake. That he's not oh, bringing a live right. snake yeah. to the hospital. He has killed the snake, and I believe that he kills the snake with an umbrella, if I'm remembering the story correctly. That wow. he's holding, like that it, it wasn't raining, but it was like one of those situations where it might rain. So he had an umbrella, and he killed the snake with his umbrella, and then brings the dead snake into the hospital. And the hospital, everyone in the hospital was like, "What? <laughs> yeah, how about that? What a story! What a good- and then really- so like that's good enough. But then beyond that. Mike Fox and Elliot Avent, of course, rivals at UNC and NC State, uh, but also friendly rivals. And I guess Mike Fox's wife had a similar situation before. And so Mike Fox was texting Elliot like, oh, you know, I hope you're doing well or like get better soon. Like this is what happened to my wife. And then um, like Mike Fox pranks Elliot like saying that like the doctors told his wife like something outlandish and then like that freaks Elliot out like oh god what if that happens to me and then Mike Fox is like oh no got you and uh so I I enjoyed like the entirety of this story like everything about it was awesome um and we're very glad that uh nothing I I think the the biggest upshot of that was that uh Elliot missed the trip for NC State to Louisville that weekend because they were flying and the doctors wouldn't let them fly. So good that that, that was the biggest upshot of it. Everything about it, though, is uh, is quite humorous. I hope he was able to make himself like a nice pair of snakeskin boots or something out of that that snake. <laughs> found a good uh, found a good taxidermist or something that could take care of that for him. I don't even know. I don't. I, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance here. I don't even know like who you'd go to for that. Like, is it a sort of cobbler do you have to get like go to a tax firmist first to get the thing skinned i, I don't know but um if you yeah. know let joe know that's at right joe healy ba you can also tweet me i'm at ted cahill on twitter uh, i would also be curious but uh definitely hit joe up if you know where uh where he, where he takes the dead snake to to make uh make boots yeah i've got a whole basket of them out here on the back patio i'm just waiting get this information. <laughs> Actually, I'm kidding. I'm terrified of snakes. Actually, honestly terrified. It makes me even more terrified that like two head coaches not far from where I live right now have had themselves or significant others bitten by snakes. It's uh, it's a scary world out there, Joe. Indeed.
like Thunderdome out there. You got to keep your head on a swivel. Uh, and that was before right, coronavirus, so... Michael. <laughs> uh, so I pulled up the the Mike Fox prank, and so what it is is um, Elliot asked, um, or like Mike Fox noticed that Elliot is is kind of freaked out. Um, by what's happened and like because mike fox has this experience through his wife like elliot's just trying to get information out of him and so mike fox as as he tells the story um it turned into me just making it seem like it's a little worse than it was elliot's a little gullible he was like how long does it take to recover i was like months (laughs) (laughs) that's uh that's pretty good Yes, the the and I was correct. The umbrella is is what he uh, killed it with. I was really concerned about him. Fox said he said I'm going to send you a picture. So I thought he was going to send me a picture because I said where'd you get bit. So I thought he was going to send me a picture of his ankle. And then of all of, all of a sudden, a picture of the snake pops up on my phone. Only Elliot. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Shout so out just... to uh, Chapelboro.com where I'm pulling those quotes from yeah just a uh, tough customer related event i i would have been i would have been bitten by the snake would have convinced i had just should give up now and was about to walk into the white light and i just would have laid there and, and let death take me away because i if i hadn't already passed out just from just from seeing the snake and, and being bitten by it so the snake bite incident happens a few years after the game that we're uh, we're here to talk about today. Um, so that that 2013 Super Regional, Joe is uh, it's a really well or a really tightly played game. I th- both of the games, NC State sweeps, but both games are one run games. The game in question today takes 17 innings to play. Uh, so these two teams seemingly were just about evenly matched, but NC State able to do some things to uh, to come out on top and to make a long-awaited return to the College World Series. At some point during early in the game, ESPN threw up a graphic of longest um, droughts in between World Series appearances, and NC State's is like potentially the third longest if they go that year and, and they do. So one of, one of the longest, um, you know, just spaces between college world series appearances in, in uh, NCAA history, I believe that has since been a cl- or no, um, I guess not quite yet. Um, so that, uh, that, that stands as, as just an incredible accomplishment. And, and this team is one that gets talked about a lot in NC State lore and, and will for, for a long time. It, it, of course, has Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner and Brett Austin, um, you know, and those guys are, are kind of the big stars, but and we'll get into this on, on the, in the interview with Elliot, but there are a lot of really, really good role players as well beyond those guys, like Logan uh, Ratledge and Jake Fincher, and, you know, kind of stand out and, um, it was just a really, really, really good team. And, you know, it proved it all season long, getting to Omaha and um, they get really hot in the second half of the season, especially, uh, and, and are rolling by the time they're, they're into the super regional and, and they come up against a rice team that, uh, you know, maybe isn't vintage rice in terms of talent, but still has a lot going on. 
um, pitches really well. And in this era, this is of course uh, still in the dead bad era. The, uh, the 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 pitching that Rice has is is plenty good enough to compete with uh, anyone in the country, frankly. Yeah, no doubt. It was it was still a a pitching heavy outfit there. Whether you're talking Jordan Stevens who starts this game or Zach Lamond who we see, John Sims who we see for a long period of time. Austin Kubitza was kind of the, the ace of that staff and was a really, really good college pitcher. And um, it was an older team. Like that's kind of one of the things I, I've forgotten a little bit about this, this Rice team is it was a pretty veteran team. There, I mean, there were some younger players smattered throughout, like Ford Stainback was just a sophomore. Leon Bird, who started in center field, is, is just a freshman. But it was very junior and senior heavy, especially for a program like Rice that's kind of used to moving its juniors along, you know, because they, they end up getting drafted. And the pitching staff was still – you know, mostly, you know, nobody uh, older than a junior, but it was, it was a Rice team that I think really benefited from having been around the block in the postseason because at this point in time, Rice was still in the postseason each and every year and they hadn't been back to Omaha in a while, but they were, they were on the precipice a number of times. And so it was a team that um, had a lot of experience. And, and we see that from time to time where teams may be able to play, especially on offense with this particular team, play a little bit above where it would otherwise, because it's just a team that's not, not going to be overwhelmed by any sort of situation. And, and they, they really handled themselves well in this, in this super regional. And you bring up a good point about NC state and coach Avent did about the role players on, on the NC state team. And um, I think that's kind of what they do really, really well at, at NC state. As you look at, you look up and down the roster and, and they get in, in any given year, they typically get a little bit of something from a lot of different guys on the roster each and every year. They do a really good job of using the whole roster they do a really good job of having guys who contribute later in their careers that might not have earlier in their careers. And, and what set this team apart, I think, was just you, you had that, but you also had these generational talents. And there have been a lot of really talented players that have come through NC State, even before, you know, before um, Elliot Avent was the head coach there. Obviously, Ray Tanner was the head coach there before him. And there have been a lot of good players come through, but none – or few, I should say, few quite like that group that all happened to come in together with Trey Turner and Rodon and, and Brett Austin. Um, and so they were really able to capitalize and strike while that iron was hot with, with Rodon and, and Turner and Austin all on the roster at this time. And, and the, the role players filled around them just played their roles to a T. And, and obviously it, it comes, comes to a head here in the Super Regional and getting to Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they, they'd been built into this, um, you know, that recruiting class came to NC State with a lot of fanfare and delivered on the hype and, um, you know, uh, an absolutely remarkable uh, accomplishment for, for that team. And, um, you know, ultimately, this is kind of a strange way to, to clinch your first trip to Omaha. That's definitely not how you, you draw it up in 17 innings with a rain delay that happens in the 12th inning. And, uh, you know, stops play for an hour, but, um, you know, the, the NC state fans really love this team and, and, you know, they, uh, they responded to them really well and, um, you know, stuck around and then showed up in Omaha and, and, and really, um, you know, celebrated them in the moment and, and continued to do so now. So, uh, let, let's, let's join in that, that, that celebration, I guess, and, uh, get to our interview with uh with Elliot Avon here to to talk about this uh 2013 Super Regional. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are very happy to be joined by North Carolina State coach Elliot Avent. Uh the longtime PAC coach has has seen a lot of things, but I imagine uh that 
you haven't seen anything quite like what we're going through uh, these days in, in college baseball. Yeah, nobody has. It's um, This has been a devastation for so many people throughout the world and just very, very sad, but uh, very, very sad. But uh, it's, uh, you know, sports plays a small, small part in what this thing's going on. I think, I think if anything, it's not how much we miss playing and how much we miss sports. It's how sports has always been like a, a, a catalyst or, or an adrenaline flow for people that are going through so many problems right now. It'd be nice if they have some kind of outlet, such as sports, to uh, kind of relieve some of their, their sorrow. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's do our best to, to go back to a time when there was that, that outlet. And let's, uh, let's go back down memory road to, uh, to this 2013 Super against Rice. Uh, you know, just kind of to set the stage a little bit, you guys uh, were highly regarded that year and had really gotten hot in the second half of the season, I guess. Uh, I think I saw on the on while we were rewatching the broadcast that it was you guys had gone like 35 and five since getting swept by Virginia, uh, and then you uh, you roll into the super and, and your pitching staff is going real well. But just what was the atmosphere like in Raleigh uh, during that postseason and, and leading up to this uh, this game? Well, I tell you, it was absolutely crazy, and uh, I've coached for so long, and every game has had a little bit of a uh, special meaning to me. And and I take it literally one game at a time and one season at a time. So something that was so special, like getting to Omaha for a program that hadn't been to Omaha since 1968, was obviously my most special moment here at NC State. Um, and um, you would think I would remember everything about that that day and that weekend and everything leading up to it. But, but I really, I really don't. I remember the thing I remember the most, you could talk about the atmosphere. The atmosphere was incredible. Um, as all uh, ballparks and, and regionals have to worry about that, that time of year with the, the heat. And uh, sometimes you bring up thunderstorms and rain and you had delays. What I remember most about that is how special this team was to Raleigh, North Carolina, because we had a rain delay. And I can't tell you, I don't have the box score in front of me, because I can't tell you, like, what the – it seemed like the rain delay was over an hour, and uh, it seemed like it came like at 11 or 11.30 at night. It seemed like the game ended like at 1. And so I was sitting in the locker room thinking, when this game resumes and we go back out trying to, to clinch a uh, berth in Omaha – there's going to be nobody here. And we walked back out and it was still packed. And so people just went out and sat in their cars or, or went home and waited for the announcement and, and came back over. It was That's what I remember most is how packed it was uh, after a long rain delay. And I think the game went like 15 innings or, or so. And uh, that's what I remember the most. You mentioned this being a particularly special team. And I think it's a team that even – casual baseball observers would recognize some names. Obviously, we didn't get to see Carlos Rodon, but he's a part of it. We didn't see Carlos Rodon in this game. And, and of course, Trey Turner is there as well. I mean, how much, how motivated were, were you as a coaching staff and, and the team to kind of get this group into Omaha, just given that it was loaded with some of these generational talents in your program? You know, I'll be honest with you. You know, there's been other teams that, that uh, 
were just as deserving and as close to going. And, and this team just, you know, flipped the switch of, of what gets you there and, and made the right play at the right time. And uh, we know a lot, of, a lot of luck and a lot of being the right place at the right time, time takes place. So uh, it was, uh, you know, we had a lot of tattle on that ball club, but we had a lot of, a lot of people on that ball club that people not, may not realize how good those people were that helped get us there. A lot of role players, like the guy that caught the, the last out in that game, I remember it was a pop-up to left field, and Brian Adams squeezed that out. And uh, he was a role player for a couple of years, but it settled into the starting lineup there at the end. We'd taken Grant Clyde and, uh, and inserted him in the lineup uh, every day about halfway through. And uh, Grant Clyde made a big difference. You know, Logan Ratledge, Jake Fincher. There's so many names that I think and, – and people always look at the Trey, you know, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon, Brett Austin. That's the names you remember a lot. But I, I tend to remember the names of the people that some, somehow get overlooked and, and they were just as valuable. You mentioned that as a program – you hadn't been to, to Omaha in like 50 years. And you know, to be one step away, uh, how important was it for that group? How, how much did they want to, to make that, you know, their legacy to, to get the program back to Omaha? And, and was there any pressure to get it done in two games as opposed to, you know, forcing a, a winner take all uh, the next day if Rice had won uh, this game? Well, the thing about Rice, is uh, when you think about Rice, you think about pitching. You think about two things when you think about Rice University. You think about Wayne Graham and you think about pitching. And uh, that's what they did for years. And that's what you knew you were going to face. You knew you were going to face arms. They're going to be in the big leagues in a few years. And uh, so to go to another game with the amount of pitching that Rice had is something that I know we don't want to do. And uh, so, but it's um, that game. Some things happened in that game. I don't, I told you I don't remember everything, but some things did happen in that game that you go wow. Like I remember Ethan Ogburn, um, a guy that pitched well for us all year, and a guy that was a starter. But Ethan Ogburn, the things he did in that game, pitching wise, in relief. Uh, I think he was on the mound when that thing ended, and I think he went like five innings or something in relief, which uh, he just did an amazing job to keep Rice at bay and give us an opportunity to win that thing. Because we were, we were the road team. Uh, um, we were the road team. So Rice came to bat so many innings with, you know, anything that happened to get a guy on, you know, Rice is going to butt. And then like bloop single, hard hit ball, whatever, error, anything can happen and they're going to win the game. So, I remember the, the job that Ethan Ogden did in relief was amazing. So to go back to the, the start of the game, you start with Logan Jernigan on the mound, who has really good numbers in this season, but he hadn't really been stretched out yet because of a hand injury that had forced him to miss time. So what were your expectations for his start coming into it? Well, you didn't know about Logan. We knew Logan Jernigan had big-time stuff. He had a big-time fastball and a big-time breaking ball. So that's what you knew about Logan. And – Sometimes fastball command, which in college, uh, 
can be uh, tough for a lot of pitchers, especially pitchers that throw hard. And he's a great big guy that threw hard. And, and uh, so you, and you mentioned the hand injury that he had had early in the year. So you knew if he was on, you knew good things would happen, but you just didn't know what to expect out of Logan that day. And uh, he, uh, I think he gave us like, I think he gave us like maybe five good innings uh, and, uh, and Kev Rice uh, maybe gave up a run. Uh, I can't remember it. He didn't give up much. I remember a low scoring game. I think the final score was like five, four. And uh, so Logan was tremendous that game. And, and, and speaking of Logan, we went to the World Series, uh, and uh, he pitched the game against UCLA, and I think we lost two to one. And uh, he was outstanding in that game as well. So he had back-to-back starts there that, that were pretty impressive. You know, it was a low-scoring game like you're talking about, and you guys had been kind of held at bay uh, by uh, – by, by Jordan Stevens, uh, what, what was the, the offensive message to the team, or, or did you not need to convey anything to, to the, that group of largely veteran guys that, um, you know, stick with it and, and you know, eventually you, you might be able to break through some of these, these hits will start falling our way? Yeah, we, we knew how good Stevens was. We, I, you bring up his name because I, I instantly – I didn't remember until you just said it, but I instantly remember how good he was. So we knew how good he was and how tough it was going to be and every run was going to be important. And uh, the way I – do you have a box score in front of you? Uh, yeah, I believe one of us does. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you got one? Okay. I think we fell behind early, and you knew every run was going to be important. And as well as Logan Pitch, I think we fell behind. I can't remember if it was one nothing, 2 nothing, But we fell behind, and every run was going to be valuable because you knew Stevens was so, so good. And uh, But we knew we could threaten, too. And uh, – you mentioned Trey Turner. You mentioned Brett Austin. I think Brett Williams, our center fielder, had a pretty good game that game. He was so electric out, out, out in center field, but he also was capable of doing some things offensively. So you knew, we knew we had the ability to score, but we knew it would be a low-scoring game and a close game. So you actually did fall behind 2 to nothing, and both of those runs for Rice, the first two runs of the game, so it's 2 nothing after the sixth inning, both of those runs coming on home runs by their two-hole hitter, Christian Stringer who had one home run coming into the weekend and then hit three that weekend. Do you remember kind of seeing that happen and just wondering who is this guy and what has gotten into him that's allowed him to do this against our guys? No, I do, I do remember that now. It's like you got – because he hits the home run and you got – and you have the scouting reports and, and you know who can't beat you and who can't hurt you and who's got power and who's liable to, to – uh, you don't want him up with two men on base. So, so it's a three-run homer. And Stringer hits uh, two home runs that game. And you go back – my mind thinks back to, to uh, things like that's just the way it goes. Uh, Bucky Dent hitting that home run. Bucky Dent, a buddy of mine, and he hit that home run. And, and seven, I think it was 78 or something uh, to beat the Red Sox. He says he's still cursed everywhere uh, in the state of Massachusetts for that home run. And Bucky wasn't a home run hitter. And you see that a lot where a guy comes through in a game and. Uh, He's not their he's not their power guy. So I do remember that, but I thought we fell behind early, and uh, I didn't remember it was on two home runs by Stringer. As this game continues, you know you you find yourself matching up against Wayne Graham, uh, just matching wits and and 
matchups and pinch hit and, and bullpen decisions and everything like that. Uh, you, you mentioned that that's one of the things everyone thinks of when they think of Rice. Just what, what's that like for you personally to to know that you know he's in the other dugout and and you're trying to you know manu- make maneuvers against a guy with as much experience as Wayne Graham. Well, you know, you, you know, you just you don't want to get too much involved. You're not going to match Elliot Avent's not going to match wits with uh, Coach Graham and come out on top. You know, he's done it too long, done it too well, and he's too doggone smart a baseball guy. So it's not about me matching wits with Wayne Graham. I know Coach Esposito, who's the architect of the NC State baseball program, he always taught uh, me and Coach Tanner, he always taught us, don't try to do too much. Let the players, coach the players the best you can all season, have great practices, uh, teach them the fundamentals, do things the right way, and players win games, coaches lose games. So stay out of it. So I know I didn't try to match wits with Coach Graham. I just uh, tried to let the players play and, and tried to not, not hurt our ball club. And, and the most things you do anyway as a manager is just pitching decisions. And good pitchers uh, make your decisions look good, and that's what we had that game. Uh, Ethan Ogburn, uh, Chris Overman, I, I'm sure, pitched in that game at the end. He was our closer. Grant Sasser had such a great year, and I'm sure he pitched. And Ryan Wilkins, who had done an unbelievable job the year before, and I'm sure I'm sure everybody had a hand in this game, and I'm sure we probably lo- used seven or eight pitchers, if not more, in a game of this length and with pitching getting thin toward the end of a, of a regional. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I didn't try to match wits with Coach Graham. I just tried to let our players play and, and tried to, you know, stay calm in the dugout and let them know we're going to win this game. So there's a, there's a key play in the seventh inning that I'll, that I'll run you through. Brett Austin, with one out, flies out to center field, and Leon Bird makes the catch in center for Rice, throws home, and catches Ratledge at the plate. Kind of a high tag, ends up you know tagging him on the shoulder because Ratledge is trying to go around the tag. And so that kind of ends up killing that rally, but you did get a run. So I'm curious if you remember back to that particular frame, and I'm curious if you remember thinking that that was kind of deflating, that the rally had ended the way it did with the, with the fly-out double play. Or do you remember thinking, okay, our, our offense is, is kind of getting moving here. Maybe it's just a matter of time before we actually break through in this thing. Well, I don't remember what I thought, but I, I can tell you, as you re, relive that situation, I would I would feel pretty good in the dugout with Brett Austin hitting Logan Radledge on third base. Two guys from Charlotte, North Carolina, who grew up playing against each other in high school and both great competitors. Uh, uh, Brett Austin, who uh, – was uh, up in the first round and in, 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 uh, out of high school, a supplemental, I think, and, uh, and, uh, or a very high pick anyway for San Diego, and then Logan Rattledge. Logan was one of our, our guys. Uh, could play anywhere second, third, short, but uh, he was one of our motors, and he played with great energy. He had great instincts. So if, I'm, if you're telling me Brett Austin's hitting a sack fly to center field, I'm going to bet you. Uh, Logan Rattling is going to find a way to score. Uh, like I said, great runner, great instincts, hard nose, smart, instinctive. Uh, and if he couldn't get around the slide, then that center fielder must have made one heck of a throw. So it, that that can be very deflating, but obviously it didn't deflate that ball club enough to keep their uh, focus on what they had to do. Yeah, and they ultimately rally there in the ninth inning. Um, do you uh, 
and, and then you, you move into to the, the extra frames and uh, the, the ninth inning probably give, gives you, uh, you know, some life the, the, just to dug out some, some new momentum. Uh, how, do you, how do you manage that as a, as a coach going into extra innings in such an important game and keeping everyone kind of level? Or, or is that not – do you want them to lean into their emotions at, at that point? No, just like I said, I, I try to let the players play. I always have players play, leaders lead. You do what you've done all year. And, and as a manager, you just try to stay out of their way. And uh, I do remember, now that you bring it up, we had pretty good ninth inning rally. Uh, on the road, like I said, even though we're at home, we're batting at the top of the ninth, and we I think we were down two or three runs. We we tie that thing up, and and then we hold them for like, what did the game go? Was it 15 or 17? I can't even remember. It might have been 17 innings. Yeah, it's seven, 17 innings. So you score a run in the, in the top of the 17th. Holy smokes. So we shut them out. We, we tie in the ninth, and we shut them out the bottom of the ninth, and they had from the ninth to the 16th in that thing. Almost a whole game that our pitching gives up nothing to a great ball club with a great manager and a team with a lot of experience who's used to being in that situation. You know, now that we relive this thing, I'll tell you what, Teddy, Joe, I, uh, it, it, it almost gives you goosebumps to think about how well the, those guys must have played. Yeah, no doubt. I'm actually curious about that. When you see – long extra inning games like this is there a point in the game where you when you're trying to manage the team where you have to maybe adjust anything offensively or kind of um, readjust a mindset because it seems like sometimes you get in these long extra inning games and guys start trying to be heroes or maybe they're losing a little bit of mental focus and the at-bats aren't quite as sharp and sometimes it strikes me that while the pitchers are pitching well the hitters maybe um, are, are in a different mindset than they would be if this was just a regular at-bat to lead off the sixth inning, for example? Well, I, uh, I think there's a tendency to want to end the thing uh, or hit a home run, and uh, we got some, some hitters that are quite capable of doing that. So I think that's a tendency. But we, uh, we played that year by being opportunistic. Uh, Trey Turner with his speed and what he did when he got on base Brett Williams was the same type of baseball player when he got on base. And uh, so we could beat you a lot of different ways. So going back to that, I don't remember what the mentality was in the extra innings. But think, thinking back now that we shut them out from the bottom of the ninth through the 17th is simply amazing to me. And I know we had a great defensive team that year. So – if you play 17 innings against Rice University and shut them out from the bottom of the ninth to the 17th, not only did you pitch incredibly well, but you, you, we obviously, I'm sure, played great defense as well. We had a good defensive ball club. So you guys finally pushed into lead there in the 17th and then uh, ultimately you know, closed the game out. You said you remembered – the final out, what was it like seeing that and then the dog pile and just knowing that everything that you guys had worked for and that you personally had worked for for so long to, to get to Omaha had, uh, had been realized? It's just, uh, I, just, I can't even put it in the words. It was, you know, I had so much, so much feelings for that. I know how bad the fans wanted it. I know how bad I play, our players wanted former players from the team that went to the World Series in 68, almost all of them showed up to the World Series. Um, former players that got close 
on teams that, that we've had here that didn't get there. Uh, I know how they felt. And I just, like I tell you, I remember all the fans coming back to the game. And I don't want to – does the box score say what time the game ended, Teddy? So, well, it doesn't say, but the game – so the game time itself was, as I'm, as I'm scrolling here, the rain delay was 77 minutes. So you were right about that. It was more than an hour. And the game time was five hours and ten minutes on its own. So you were – you're talking about basically, you know, you, you, you were there for six and a half hours or so. Um, so it was, it was certainly late at night no matter what time it ended. Yeah, and I remember being so late. I remember being in the locker room. And, of course, the players celebrate. You want to watch the players celebrate. You, want to, you don't want to leave the field. But I finally get back in the locker room, and eventually everybody leaves. And there were people tailgating in the parking lot before the game, and they're still tailgating. I'm getting call after call that I need to come out there where people are tailgating and celebrating. And I remember not wanting to leave the locker room. I remember me and Jody Cahoon, um, our longtime equipment manager and a good friend of mine, uh, I remember Jody and I just sitting in the locker room forever and people kept ringing on my phone saying I need to get out to the parking lot. And eventually I just didn't even answer it because I just wanted to stay in there with Jody and, uh, and enjoy, you know, what meant so much to both of us. And I knew what it meant to our coaches. I knew what I meant to our fans and players. And uh, I just sat there in the locker room and enjoyed it. So you, after this, obviously you, you move on and, and go and play in Omaha and, Coaches and players universally who come back from having had that experience rave about the Omaha experience. What do you think makes that so special? And I'm curious what your biggest memories are of that time you guys spent in Omaha. One of my memories, I got, I got several, but but one is I remember um, the the feeling I had, but watching our players' faces as the teams walked into Omaha the night before it happened as all teams walk in there. I just remember how special that was watching our guys. I remember loading the charter to go to Omaha and the guys getting on that charter and, and getting a bottle of Powerade or a bottle of water given out and just getting on that plane and the smiles on their faces. I remember sitting in my hotel room and looked out the window and Logan Rattledge and Jake Armstrong were playing a wiffle ball game with about uh, I think it was one little league team or two little league teams combined. They had a wiffle ball game going in the parking lot, and they played with those kids for about an hour. Um, so there's a lot of special memories. Uh, I remember, like I said, the 68 team coming to the World Series. I remember our basketball coach was there. and A lot of people came that made it really, really special. Um, went out to eat at the Drover, which I still say might be the best restaurant of all time. Uh, the Drover restaurant. I remember going out there and eating with a lot of our friends and, and players and how special that was. But there's so many memories. And obviously, um, our first game, ironically, had to be against North Carolina. And uh, you, would, you would like that not to be the case. Uh, but uh, it was. And uh, we played Carolina in the first game, fortunate enough to beat them. Fortunate because we had Carlos Rodon. I think he shut them out. And uh, I think that was our 50th win. And to get 50 wins in today's landscape of college baseball with as demanding a schedule as we always play here at NC State, uh, not only our league, but we try to play a pretty demanding non-conference schedule. And uh, so to get 50 wins is pretty special. And uh, there's so many memories, but uh, that's a few of them right there. And then the most special memory for me 
Teddy and Joe, the most special memory for me is my parents, uh, my dad, first probably 10, 15 years of me being here at NC State, he traveled on most road trips, room with me, uh, went to every game, would sit in the room with me trying to guess what lineup we're going to play the next day. And so to have that relationship and to be fortunate enough to go back to the World Series, to go to the World Series and, and my parents still be living and them getting to go, that was a special, special treat for me personally. Absolutely. I just hearing you talk about Omaha has me like missing it again this year. Uh, that's probably only going to get stronger here over the next month. Uh, when, when, you, when you just look back on, uh, on this group as a whole, their, their time there, uh, such an important team in, in uh, NC State history, what, what, it, what do you reflect on when, when you think about the, the group and, and their, their time in Raleigh? Uh, the, the character, the, you know, you're always going to win with character. You're always going to win with leadership, chemistry. Those are things that I think are vital on any team, whether it be a professional team, but it play, it's very paramount in college that you have that leadership and chemistry. And uh, that's what I remember. These guys still all keep in touch. Um, they're all so close to the program still. And uh, that's what you remember more than anything else is the relationships and the relationships you still have today. Um, as, uh, as I came to the field today, um, to, I thought it was apropos instead of being at home. I actually came to my office at the field and I'm looking out over Doak Field and uh, doing the interview from here. And as I came here, I saw Brett Austin, one of the players on the team, and almost went down to the dugout and kind of got him to sit with me to do it. But I just decided to come to my office. And, and uh, but uh, a lot of the, the guys still come back. Um, Carlos Radon and I texted each other yesterday about about uh, um, his workouts and one of our pitchers here. And we just uh, Trey Turner. He uh, he was kind enough to do a do something I asked him to do for graduation the other day for NC State. And you, when you when you call on these guys, it's just they're still. It's almost like they never forgot being here. And they never forgot how special it was, and their time here was very valuable and and very memorable. And uh, a lot of relationships were formed, and and uh, it's just it's just kind of neat. Absolutely, always great to hear when uh, that the, the players are are remaining engaged and and just how much they like each other. Uh, such a such a big part of of, of sports and and certainly college sports as well. Um, so, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, to take this trip down memory lane with us. It was uh, it was fun rewatching the game, and and uh, certainly fun talking about it again with you. Well, it was certainly my pleasure. Trust me, I appreciate that. <laughs> and because uh, uh, with every great win, there's a lot of tough losses that, uh, go in your career. But like uh, trying to think of the player, I retweeted this morning. But one of the players in the major leagues tweeted out how all the things that happen in baseball that you don't like long replays that don't get you the result that you, that you saw on, on film and all the, all the over fives and all the th rain delays. Uh, we miss them all right now. There's nothing about this game. Uh, even the, the bad things that happen that we don't miss tremendously right now. So to keep in touch, touch with each other and to relive special memories, I think is, is uh, a plus for all of us right now. Absolutely. We certainly think so. <laughs> I know you do. Y'all do a great job, by the way. I, I really, uh, everybody follows y'all. Uh, y'all are synonymous, synonymous with baseball. 
and you do so much for the game of baseball, especially college baseball. And uh, I want to thank you all for what you all do because as, as you all probably feel this way, <clears throat> it's the, the game I've done since I was five years old. And now that I'm 64, you can think I've done it almost close to 60 years in some capacity. And in college baseball, probably been 40 years. And, and it's just um, it's, it's, it's just so special to all of us. So for what you all do, I just want to thank you all. Well, thank you so much, Coach. We really appreciate that. It's uh, You guys are out there doing the hard work. We're, uh, we're just here talking about it. <laughs> there, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing ever hard. When you're involved with baseball, there's nothing ever hard about it. Only rewards, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again to NC State coach Elliot Avent for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, it's, uh, you know, it's always interesting when we go back and, and see, you know, how much you, you remember from, from a certain day or, or, or anything. And, um, you know, honestly, I'm not surprised that, that Elliot Avent has, um, you know, lost some of the details of, of the game because I have no idea how like Sean McVay has like the recollection that he does. But I did love that. Like anytime we mentioned a name, like he was like instantly right back there. Uh, you know, he just needed like the, the prompting and it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm back to that moment in the game or um, you know, I'm back to like trying to remember how we were going to like get hits off of Jordan Stevens. And um, you know, I, I, I definitely relate to that experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that's probably more, you know, more what would be the normal way, you know, folks remember, I think there are some, you know, kind of John Nash of beautiful mind types out there that can, you know, baseball coaches who can remember every single pitching change and every single big game they've ever coached and much like football coaches who can tell you exactly what play they called in a specific moment. And, but I think for the most part, I think what you'd get would be what, what coach Avent was doing there, which is, you know, he can, he can kind of remember, the, the players that were involved here and he can tell you everything about what that player contributed in that game, whether it's a specific moment or whether it's kind of, kind of more generally. And, and the way he, he talks about this group, you can tell, I mean, and coaches will tell you, and, and I believe them, there's no reason not to, but they tell you every single team is special and it's kind of like every single team is, is kind of like a, like a, like a snowflake, just every, every little, every team is, is a little bit different and the, the personality of that team is a little bit different. And they, it's like picking your favorite child. You can't really do it. But with that said, I mean, you can, you can definitely hear the spark in his voice when he talks about this team and, and what, a, um, a, a, what a memory this team gave him and, and he was able to, to give them by getting them there. And um, So, yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear him talk about, you know, some of the guys, some of the names he was able to pull in right away. Ethan Ogburn was one that came off his, his tongue immediately, and, and he was right. He wasn't exactly sure, you know, the number of innings or exactly the, the situation, but he was right. He threw five innings and was a, was a big part of that. And, to me, that was the key in this game, honestly, because early in this game, you know, and if you watched along with us, you know this now, the first five or six innings in this game really drag. And, you know, some of it is just there is traffic early in the game. It's certainly not that there were pitching changes early on. I mean, it, Jernigan gives them five and, and Stevens for Rice gives them seven or something like that, seven and change. I forget what it exactly is, but um, – there was just a lot of traffic. There was a lot of situational stuff, bunts and, and things of that, of that nature. But once Jernigan leaves the game, like NC state is really mixing and matching on the bullpen. You know, there are a couple, one guy who comes in, doesn't get an out. A couple guys come in and get a third of an inning, two thirds of an inning. And 
I remember going into extra innings. I know how this game turns out, obviously, but I remember going into extra innings and having not really looked at the box score thoroughly, kind of wondering how on earth are they going to patch this together because they've, they've really been cycling through bullpen guys. Whereas Rice had had these huge chunks of innings. I think the Rice only threw three guys, I think. But they did it thanks to Chris Overman and, and Ethan Ogburn. And so it was um, – I thought that was telling that Ethan Ogburn's name was the first one out of his mouth, at least that I remember, that we didn't prompt him on. Just because I think he's right in that that was the key piece of this game was they needed some length in the absolute worst way when they got to extra innings and they got it from, from those two guys. Absolutely. It, it, you know, it's always interesting to see how you navigate, uh, you know, these situations, you know, the, not just a basic super regional, how are you going to line up your pitching? And then like, okay, so now it's 17 innings. Um, and like when you, when, when they take Jernigan out, like obviously they don't know how long the game's going to go. And uh, so you just kind of start using guys and then as extra innings continue, like how do you, how do you navigate all of this? And Oh wait, now there's a rain delay. Like I, it's uh it's a lot and um you know it's a lot on both ends but you know when when you have like the the easy strength of rice's team here is is the pitching and and that shows i mean they they do you know get some surprising offense um in certain spots you know uh but the 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 strength is the pitching and, and they did a really good job against a really talented nc state offense all weekend long i mean if you look at a couple of the key moments that, you know, they show, you know, in this rebroadcast, they, they show how game one ends uh, or, or how NC state scores at game one and um, you know, rice boots a little, a little bit. And then the ninth inning rally in this game, you know, rice isn't playing the cleanest defense either. And um, you know, which is interesting because, you know, as they know early on uh, you know, the, Rice has some of the best defense in the country, uh, just from a pure pure numbers perspective, and and that's in some ways a little bit of their undoing here in in the super regional. And um, you know, but it, you can't give an offense that has Trey Turner, that has Logan Ratledge and Brett Austin, and everyone else NC State has in, in this game. You can't give them openings. You can't keep giving them openings. Eventually, they're, they're going to break through, and and that's what happens here. I guess, you know, not only in the ninth inning, but also ultimately in extra innings as well. Yeah, it was it was a tough day in right field for Michael Rattery, um, who was a really nice college player. So it, it's kind of a shame that, you know, in his senior year, this was his his final game in a Rice uniform. You know, he, the ninth inning double gets exacerbated. Really, no fault of his own. It kicks off the where the the wall kind of juts out, and the grass is. I'm assuming given that a thunderstorm comes through, I don't know if it's a thunderstorm, but heavy rain comes through later in this game. I'm assuming the humidity was fairly high and, you know, it's, it's the summertime in the, in the Southeast. And so there's pretty good chance it had rained recently. And so the grass is probably a little wet and he slips, ball rolls past him. That's how they end up scoring two runs on a double that were they otherwise they, they might've just scored the one. And so there's that. And then in the ninth inning, you know, it's, it's a double in the right center gap with the runner on, or sorry, in the 17th inning, there's a, a double in the right center gap and he comes over to cut it off and then kind of bobbles a little bit, which allows a runner to score uh, and the runner who had already been given a stop sign at third base. So tough day out there in, in, in right field for, for Rattery who'd had a nice season and was a nice player for four years at, at Rice. And 
you know, I don't, this is one of those games where Rice really sold out to win this game. And it has to hurt because you mentioned it. I mean, it's a one run loss in game one of the series. It's a 17 inning one run loss in game two. I mean, tiny, tiny margins and Rice is back in Omaha, but it was, this was definitely a game where they sold out for because they had thrown Kubitsa in game one. Jordan Stevens starts game two. John Sims comes in and throws, um, you know, whatever it was in relief, seven innings in relief, basically throwing all of extra innings. And he was their third starter primarily. So I'm not really sure what they would have done for pitching in the third game, but I assume they would have figured it out. I mean, they still had some talented guys who probably had innings in their arms. So, um, you know, future Rice star Blake Fox was on that team, actually. Future, uh, you know, big-time starter for Rice because he was a freshman on that team. So, you know, who knows gets, who gets their moment to shine there, but they would have had to scramble a little bit. But this has to be a painful one for the Owls just because it ultimately it is against a team as good as that NC State team. It ends up being an, an airtight super regional that, that kind of ends in a way that's, you know, particularly painful because, that I mean, that ninth inning is really, um, you know, there are any number of things that could have – could have gone a little differently that would have kept NC State from scoring three runs in that ninth inning. And they just, they kind of all go against Rice and there you have it. Of course, the flip side of that is, you know, you have a situation in the 10th inning where, you know, NC State's got runners on the corners and Trey Turner's at bat and he stings a line drive back up the middle and it ends up being a double play. So I don't know, the the game giveth and taketh away, but still it can't be a particularly great memory uh, for Rice fans who now, you know, realize that that was one of the last best chances for this program to get to Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even in the bottom of the eighth, Rice, um, you know, Rice tacks on an insurance run. But they almost have a chance for more. The third, you know, the the third out comes on a guy getting doubled off of second um, on a, you know, ball to center field that I guess that they've, lost track of how many outs there were um like that must have been what happened and you know so i mean they uh there are plenty of opportunities for for the owls to be kicking themselves but to your point certainly um you know they nc state had chances all game long uh and and didn't cash in on on a lot of them um they were out hitting rice throughout the game um you know for a while there, uh, Rice's only hit is, uh, is an early home run. Uh, so yeah, the, the, um, and moral of the story is that these were just two really close games and, and they happened to, to go NC state's way. But again, the, 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 you know, those, those kinds of teams that those that are playing at the level NC state was playing at that time, uh, you know, they're going to find a way. And, and that's what, that's what the pack did that that day and, and throughout that that super regional, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it ends up feeling like a you know, and you'll know this better than I. But in soccer, there's the the concept of a, a fair result, and that you can sometimes you can win a game, but it you, you almost didn't deserve it in some ways. And that, it, but this feels like being ends up being a fair result, given that this NC State team was the, the best team and perhaps the most talented team in the history of the program, and to not have this team get to Omaha. On the flip side, as disappointed as Rice is that this team didn't get – their team didn't get to Omaha, this NC State team not getting to Omaha, I think had that not happened, would have been one of those what-if teams that we look back on and say, my goodness, like, you know, how disappointing is it that we didn't get to see this team compete in Omaha, and they, and they did. So in, in that way, it really does feel like this was a, a truly a fair result. Absolutely. I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I do want to also note that um, – when uh, when I turned this game on, 
um, or maybe it was when you, I guess it was you, you turned the game on first and told me that Tom Hart was on the call. And I was like, oh man, we get Tom Hart. I was pretty excited about that. And, you know, obviously Tom is now one of the leading play-by-play voices in college baseball. You know, he's the, on the, you know, on the call in Omaha. Um, he's on the call on your big Thursday night SEC games. But this probably was, uh, you know, I didn't text Tom to confirm this, but this was very early in his college baseball calling career. Um, and just his college, you know, play-by-play with ESPN career in general. So uh, kind of lucked out here. Um, in other ways, I suppose he didn't get, he didn't luck out having to, uh, you know, call this the 17 inning game plus a rain delay. Uh, you know, that, that makes for an, an awful long day at the ballpark, but uh you know, we, we locked out in, uh, in getting a Tom Hart call, uh, in this, in this super game. Yeah. They were also doing that thing. Um, the, one of the things I like to listen for now during broadcast, having been in press boxes, sometimes sharing a press box with play by play guys and, and knowing some now that I, that I didn't really know before and didn't know to listen to before is now whenever you have an extra inning game or, Conversely, like conference tournament situation where you're trying to get three or four games in and any one game going super long means that you could go deep into the night and theoretically that means they could be there deep into the night. So there's now I'll listen for little cues of, you know, where one of the one of the guys in the booth will make a comment about how 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 what time it is and how late they could be going, or someone will make a comment about um how long it's been since the game started, and you can just kind of knowing what I know now, it's one of those things where I can, I can almost visualize one of the two of them cutting their eyes to the other and making a face because they're, you know, they're hoping that's not the case and they're hoping to not be there all night. Um, you know, as much as they enjoy what they do and enjoy the, the getting to do what they do and see these baseball games and be a part of these games, like, let's be honest, some of those nights when you really get to the college baseball postseason, they can just be so grueling for, especially for on-air people. Cause it's one thing for you and I where, you know, we're in the press box working and yes, there are some long nights, but ultimately we're just kind of, kind of there, but it's another thing to be on the air for, as it turns out in Tom Hart and Paula Duca's case, five hours plus the rain delay check-ins. So they're just kind of hanging out and they have to stay TV sharp for hours. And so now I listen for those little cues of, you can almost audibly, you know, almost audibly hear them to the extent you could like making, uh, you know, making certain eye contact or making faces at each other to symbolize that they know they could be in for a long night. I also just kind of like um, seeing the doke as, as filled up as it is. Uh, NC State always is, um, I shouldn't say always, uh, there are certainly games where that's not, not true, but like they're, they're an outstanding fan base, you know, always, uh, you know, going to come out in, in a, in a postseason atmosphere like that. And, um, you know, but it's a, uh, it's a nice little compact park and, you know, it just feels like everything is right on top of the action because kind of it is. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like in this kind of game that just, that plays and it, it plays on TV really well. And um, so, yeah, that, that was just another, uh, you know, kind of cool aspect from, from the broadcast that, that I, uh, I appreciated watching. It certainly did not give the fans any help though, when it started raining. Because uh, there is yeah, there's no, no cover, no cover there. Course. No, no cover at all. The hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is absolutely true. This, uh, you know, Joe, you mentioned it there. Um, 
you know, we've, we've touched a lot on what this means for NC State, but, um, you know, as the, as the Houstonian, um, what is, you know, wh where does Rice go from here at this point? You know, they, they, you know, Wayne Graham has another, I guess, five years as head coach at Rice. They don't really get to this level again, though, right? This is, this is a little bit of the, I mean, it's not the high water mark. Obviously, that was the national title, but this is kind of the last last team that really reaches this point. Is that is that about right? Yeah, they they had had other moments. I mean, they were still obviously kind of continuing on with their you know, conference championship streak. They had a, a streak that I I don't even remember how many years it ran, but twenty two maybe. Yeah, a where lot. they and for a long time that was actually the most impressive thing about that is is for a long time that was conference regular season championships and then one year I think they just won the the tournament and so they uh, you know it, it shifted to well they it, so it's championships but it's all encompassing that year would have been I'm looking at it now 2009 when they they won the tournament they came in fourth in the in the standings so um, so yeah this was. This was the uh, the last time they get to a super is 2013 under under Wayne Graham and they had they, they were still kind of it was one of those deals where the when you looked at it from the outside they were still cooking you know they the next year they go 41 and 18 23 and 7 in the league win the league year after that they go 22 and 8 in the league and win the league and they host in one or both of those years I forget so they were still hosting they were still like I said, on the surface, they were still doing all the things you kind of expect them to do. But it was it was a type of deal where when you kind of looked under the hood, you could see that they were just a step beyond where they once were. Um, and even in the years past getting to Omaha, the last Omaha trip was 08. But those 9, 10, 11 years, especially when Anthony Rendon was there, those teams were still really, really good. And they just were kind of snake bit. You know, they get to a Super in 2009 in LSU, and that was when Anthony Rendon – you know, hurts his ankle, you know, kept trying to catch a foul pop and, and, and kind of steps on the bullpen mound weird. And so there were just little things that happened here and there that kept them from being able to get back to that stage. By the time they get to 2013, you know, things were, things had taken a step back when you, when you really kind of, like I said, looked under the hood and really looked at the, the details of it. But outwardly, it looked like everything was kind of the same as, as it ever was. And then obviously after that, it really kind of started to slip. They get to regionals in, in 16 and, and 17, but those were years where, you know, if they hadn't won conference tournaments, maybe they don't, they don't get in, in, in 17, for example. So um, at, at that point it was, it was clear that the, the program was in, in decline, but, but I looked at when we initially decided to do this game, when we were talking about it a week ago, you know, I described this as kind of the last best chance and it's not just because they get to super. So yes, on the surface, it was our last best chance under Wayne Graham to get to Omaha because of the result. They were only two wins away from doing so. But I also mean that in terms of this was a veteran group and they turned a lot of the roster over after this. And there were still some very, very talented players that continued on. But this was a group I think that, ex that was expected to get to Omaha um, at some point in their careers, didn't get there. And that ends up being a little bit of a disappointment for that group. But you kind of knew moving forward there was going to be some some roster turnover and some churn, and there was a little less certainty that the Rice teams in subsequent years were going to be at the level that was going to be able to get them back to Omaha. So although they continued to be good, it was clearly a program that was in a little bit of decline, and it wouldn't be until several years after that that we really saw that, yeah, absolutely, this program is in 
uh, in steep decline. And so now we got, you know, Matt Bragg is there, a guy we had on a few weeks ago on the podcast and, and working to rebuild it. And Obviously just kind of a, a different time, um, different space of, of, of rice, uh, that, that, that follows this. And, uh, you know, but again, the, what they accomplished, uh, this team, uh, accomplished in, in getting to the super and competing as well as they did, uh, and, and nearly reaching Omaha ultimately, um, is, uh, it was very impressive on, on its own. All right, so that was the 2013 Raleigh Super Regional Game 2. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. If uh, you're interested in, in watching it, having heard us uh, discuss it, you can also uh, find it linked off of baseballamerica.com. Uh, Joe has rounded up uh, over two different posts, 20 games. You can watch on YouTube if you're looking to, uh, to scratch the, the college baseball itch. Uh, we have you covered there. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, another game uh, in this series. We, we will continue uh, cruising along through our, our classic uh, college baseball games, at least for another few more weeks. I, I don't know uh, how much longer precisely we're going to go. Joe, Joe and I have not really uh, given that a whole lot of uh, consideration yet, or at least I haven't, Joe. I don't, I don't know uh, how much consideration you've, you've given that, but we are, we are game to keep going here. Uh, at least for another few weeks, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if there, it's also if there's one thing we've learned during this, you know, eight or so weeks um, in, in quarantine, it's that there really is no tomorrow or next week. There's only today, and there's just we're 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 going uh, going day by day. But yes, I mean, I think I think the idea is to to kind of finish out, you know, um, these couple lists, picking the games off that that we're most interested in, in talking about, and then and then kind of. Uh, kind of readjusting at that point. Uh, but, but certainly we, we have at least a few more games that we want to hit on before we wrap this series up. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll be back here next Friday with that. We will also be back here on Monday or Tuesday, excuse me, Joe and I will probably record on Monday uh, with another edition of the baseball America college podcast. We are continuing to go twice a week uh, during the spring at least. And our our first show of the week is a more newsy show before then we get into these uh, these classic games. So we'll be back here on Monday talking about the news. And frankly, there's uh, there's been a bit of it here uh, over the last few days, and I anticipate that we'll have even more uh, to discuss uh, by the time next week comes around, just in terms of conferences kind of announcing uh, 2021 plans as a relates to conference schedules, conference tournaments, uh, and, and the like. And the NCAA has also uh, extended the recruiting dead period now through June. Uh, and we may get into that a little bit more uh, next week. So uh, make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. You can find us, so please subscribe, rate, and review if you can. Uh, we really appreciate it uh, when you guys take the time to do so. Uh, you can also continue to check everything out over at baseballamerica.com. Plenty of stuff continues to, to roll out there, uh, both in terms of college content and draft content, as the draft is now less than a month away. Uh, we uh, rolled out a new mock draft this week, for instance. You can check out where... Uh, 
where your favorite players are, are projected to be going or who your favorite MLB team is, uh, is projected to take right now. Carlos Colazzo uh, did all the, the hard work on that. So be sure to, uh, to check that out over at baseballamerica.com as well as all of the college content that Joe and I continue to, to, uh, to throw out there uh, every week. We have a new coaching confidential Joe's stock watch series continues. And if you haven't seen our, Never too early, top 25 for 2021 yet. Uh, we posted that on Mondays. Can, uh, you can get our first taste of the 2021 season. I would encourage you to do so because it was very, uh, I don't know, cathartic is probably the wrong word, but Joe and I very much enjoyed being able to talk about real baseball and evaluate like on-field things as opposed to all the off-field stuff that we've had to, to focus on over the last couple months. We will be back here on the, the podcast next week. Uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to talking to you then. Uh, until then, check out everything on the website. Follow us on Twitter, at Ted Cahill, at Joe Healy BA. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you to Elliot Avent again for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Joe. I've been Ted Cahill. We'll see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.